You're designed for narrative, your personal life story, and the grand story that's shaping and moving everything. Welcome, friend, to episode 41 of Jesus Smart, the podcast. The horizon we're questing after is that Jesus knows how life works best now, and the future not only belongs to him, we're starting to experience it in the present. Friend, in recent episodes, we've been dialoguing around the issue of big narratives and even the narrative wars. You know, upstream from big picture narratives are worldviews, and upstream from that are belief systems philosophies, and theology. We really can't underestimate the power of ideas and narratives that are impacting our lives and the world at large. You're going to hear from a new friend today, Matt Raines. Get ready for this, the five acts of the God story. Nuanced and subtle, and yet writ large across time and space, and how your life and my life is written into the story on the big stage. I'm excited for you to hear our conversation today with a new friend. I mean, have you ever read the scriptures like in bits and pieces and you struggle with what is the grand story? What's the big picture of the Bible and how can I be more motivated to read the Bible? Further, what is my personal story, my life story? How does it fit into a greater story, a greater narrative? Well, we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be drawing on a lot of information from N.T. Wright, the Anglican theologian. And I'm excited to have Matt Rains with us today. Matt is a new friend who's just uh, been repotted, (laughs) transplanted from Southern Cal to Northeast Ohio in the American Midwest. Uh, What what are your initial reflections on this uh, transplant, uh, Matt? Part of it has to do with pizza. I've had more pizza out here than uh, I've had in the last about four years in California. Okay. Uh, we had tacos out here, out there, and uh, out here there's pizza on every corner. All right. Um, so uh, overall We're impression. kind of between Chicago and New York City, so it's probably we're kind of squashed with that pizza effect there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big time. No, it's been wonderful. A beautiful place. Um, great weather so far. Everyone keeps warning me about the uh, the winter, but um, I'm kind of built for the winter. I've so noticed okay. you're still wearing sandals, and we're recording in October here. <laughs> Cl- you know what? Close to November. That's right. Yeah. Until there's snow on the ground, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing those sandals, man. <laughs> that is California. His wife, Melissa, they've been married for over 20 years. He has three children, Michaela, Dawson, and Leanna, and he's the pastor of New Beginnings Church in Amherst, Ohio, in the greater Cleveland area, Northeast Ohio. Uh, he really has a life message of, of grace, the grace of God, and his goal is to draw people closer to the God of grace. He has ministered for about 20 years, and mostly in Southern California. He, he has a master's degree in Christian ministry with a focus in pastoral care, and he's currently getting another master's degree in therapy counseling. Well, welcome, Matt. I'm excited about, about this topic. You know, we were having coffee a while back, and we just... Uh, organically started talking about some of these themes and um, had a lot of resonance with the conversation. And so I'm really glad. Welcome today. Yeah. So N.T. Wright, he's an Anglican theologian, and uh, I'm calling this, uh, Matt, a kingdom hermeneutic. Right. You know, not to sound too theological, what 
What is a hermeneutic? Yeah, absolutely. Hermeneutic is uh, an approach to understanding scripture. Sure. It's like a model or a template or a lens through which you view the scripture. So uh, you could have different hermeneutics. I mean, if you're like a liberal person, you might have a feministic hermeneutic, right? Right. Or or something like that. But Mm -hmm. we're saying that the predominant view of scripture is a kingdom hermeneutic. And N.T. Wright had this hermeneutic of five acts. That's right. Like a play. I'll just start us off. Act one is Genesis one and two with creation. God creating a garden and placing it, putting it into the care of humans. Yeah. And they were to, through their descendants over time, spread that garden, it seems, throughout the earth, bring their influence, their kingdom influence. They were image bearers of God, right? Yeah. That's sort of act one. But why don't you pick it up right there and just uh, give us a survey, and then we can come back and work through it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's a great way to uh, describe it. When when God is at work in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, he's establishing a kingdom. Uh, it is a garden. I mean, that's the imagery he uses. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. But the um, in the eyes of the ancient Near East, they would have understood God as a, as a great king, establishing a, a temple, placing humanity therein as his representatives, um, with the uh, the goal of of humanity living out God's loving rule and reign. Yeah. Um, throughout throughout the ages. So, in the Hebraic understanding, would they have understood it as a temple? Yeah. No Genesis question. one and two. Yeah, absolutely. There would have been uh, the, the language there, uh, specifically the language describing us as an image, uh, was the same language used to describe the monuments that were erected by ancient kings to show the inhabitants that they're, you know, that's where they rule. Yeah. And uh, so, they, you know, the Hebrew writer, or the, the writer of Genesis, rather, uh, employs this imagery to, to, to speak kingdom language to them. Okay, see, now that's a, that, that's how we need to do work with Bible interpretation, really, right. and is, is that understanding it through a um, an Oriental or an Eastern worldview in, in this sense, right? right. They, they would have understood the garden as a temple, and so there's a great king, and we are his vice regents on the earth? Yeah, yeah. Image bearers? Well, absolutely. We are, we are definitely um, his image bearers. Um, we rule on his behalf. Right. With his... Uh, with his guidance, his leadership, his rule, his love, um, we are to, you know, display to the world God's loving rule and reign. That that was our call, like kind of an ambassador, if you will. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the word region. By the way, we're in a cafe, we're in a public place, so you're hearing that kind of ambiance, which we like. We like that. We like getting out in the place of conversations. And, Absolutely. And words and discourse. So. And then um, we'll come back to that. Take us on through Acts 2 sure. and, and forward. So Act 2 um, has traditionally been uh, viewed as the fall. And, and in fact, it is the fall, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a good language. But I also think another way of describing that is the rise of a competitive kingdom. And so Genesis basically 3 through 11 is an example of what happens when humanity tries to be God. Um, I see this as, and N.T. Wright and others have seen the, the temptation of man uh, wasn't about curiosity. It wasn't about their naivety. It was about their decision to want to be God for themselves, you know. And um, what we see, I believe, in, uh, in this, this section of Scripture is what happens when God says, okay, let's see what happens. Let, let, let's see what happens when humanity... Uh, attempts to be God in this place. And not that God left them, not that God wasn't a part of, of what was going on and, and faithful to humanity during that time. But there's a reason God decides 
to destroy everything with a flood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, yeah, yeah it, it became so bad yeah. that God was actually, he repented, he was sorry that he even created man, it said. That's, that's quite right. a quite a, a rapid degradation, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's just stunning. And, and then, of course, there is the redemption of Noah and the ark and his family and sort of a reboot. But then it degrades again. Yes. <laughs> and it doesn't reach its climax in Genesis 11 it with does. the Tower of Babel, this, this competitive civilization. And isn't that interesting, the language there of humanity trying to establish for themselves a name upon the earth, right? This is the Marvin the Martian uh, tendency, <laughs> right? That we're going to throw down the flag and claim this in the okay, name of, yes. of, of humanity. All right. And uh, they're still struggling with the same dilemma. The dilemma that people have... Uh, is before it becomes a violation of law or immorality or anything else, is our desire to be God. That's where it all stems from. So God scrambled it all in Genesis 11, Absolutely. separated them with the language confusion. And then we come to Act 3 with yeah, Abraham three. in Genesis 12. Yeah, the story of Israel and Abraham. Um, one of the most amazing things about God is that even though he doesn't have to uh, show mercy to us, especially as we, we show ourselves a, a competitive king. Uh, he could have very easily just wiped us out and, and started over. But what he did instead was show us or attempt to show us what the rule and reign of God should look like okay. on this earth. Uh, and so how does he do that? Well, he goes and he chooses mm -hmm. Abraham. He chooses someone that no one else would have chose to start a nation with, uh, a barren couple, um, to to show what it looks like to live out his loving rule and reign. So he begins with Abraham. Pulls him out of Babylon, right? Oh, yeah. Ur of the Chaldeans, Absolutely. Babylon. I mean, an, a, no. an antagonistic false civilization, right, against God. Absolutely. Pulls him right out of there. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of reasons that Abraham would have been the last call, right? Uh, he he yeah, worshipped the gods beyond yeah. the rivers, according to uh, okay. <laughs> other passages. He was a pagan. Uh, he didn't really understand the dynamics of, of God. He wasn't even let in on the mono theistic tenets of, of faith. Um, really? There, there's no he question. He was a polytheist. Yeah, there's, there's, a good, there's a good sense that Abraham believed that God was the big God, the number one God. I'm not sure Scripture ever says he understands that he's the only God. Hmm. Uh, the tenets of a monotheistic religion don't come uh, until after they are leaving Egypt, and there's no question mm -hmm. they struggled with polytheism. So you have this like, progressive revelation, if Absolutely. you will, beginning and throughout really the Old, the Old Testament, Absolutely. yeah, and even into the New. Um, interesting. So he's obviously the seed form, the beginning of a new nation eventually yeah. is constituted with, uh, what, the Israelites down in Egypt. They yeah. come out, they're, re they're constituted as a nation. Absolutely. They're given the law. Absolutely. So they become a nation, yeah. and their goal, their purpose was to be a priesthood to the world, uh, to demonstrate to the world what yeah. it looks like to live under God's rule and reign. Would you say they were to be a model nation? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, they suffered from the same issue that Adam and Eve have that all humanity struggles with, is they end up thinking it's about them. They end up thinking uh, that they have something special uh, DNA-wise um, as a people, as a culture. Um, God even warns them in Deuteronomy. He says, don't, don't get to the point where you think that I've chosen you because you're special. I chose you because you were the least of these. Okay. Um, so he goes out of his way to, to raise up a nation whose existence, the only way to explain it, is divine intervention, is God's loving rule and reign. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, tragically, you can almost hear the sadness 
uh, when they, they say, I want a king like the rest of the nations. Okay. And, um, and they struggle. They struggle with, with demonstrating God's love and rule and reign. Mm. Um, so this is Act 3. And Act yet, 3. And yet, like in Isaiah or other later prophets, was there an expectation of God coming as the king? Absolutely. To deliver or to, to set up his kingship on the earth? Absolutely. Even in spite of all of their idolatry and immorality and Absolutely. sins? Absolutely. I think um, without, without question, I think Abraham or uh, even uh, Paul references this in Galatian. You know, he says, God made a promise to Abraham's seed, and not seeds, but to his seed. To seed Christ and himself. And for, for Paul, this is how he understood what was going on, that God was going to bring uh, someone, a uh, Messiah, who would... A singular seed, the Messiah, yeah, right? That's the Galatians. King, right? Act four is the king, is Jesus, uh, to this earth to do two things. Uh, to model perfectly the loving rule and reign of God. Um, this is why... Uh, this is why that it's such a big deal for Jesus to do exactly what the Father says. You know, the temptation of Jesus turning rock into bread right. and these other things. Uh, we've had that discussion, like, what's the big deal? I mean, he's the one that created the rock. Why not turn it into bread? Well, what, what's, at, what's at stake here is whose will will be done. Will it be the Father's will, his loving rule and reign, yeah. or will it be his own, or will it be that of Satan? Uh, so Jesus comes and perfectly exemplifies the kingdom of God. Yeah. At the same time, he does what the king does. He saves his people, uh, offers himself as the mm-hmm. substitutional sacrifice mm-hmm. on man's behalf, um, and you know satisfies the um, the justice of God. And so he's he's the savior. He's and he's the Lord, um, the the king, the king and the savior. I mean, I've heard it said that as much as Jesus taught and modeled the kingdom, it's amazing how little we we talk and model the kingdom. Right. We have like gospels of salvation. Yep. Or gospels of getting to heaven. Right. Or gospels of like sin management, Dallas Willard might call. Yep. Oh, what are your thoughts on that? The gospel of the kingdom. I mean, if you just take an honest look at the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right. It's hard to avoid that that central theme that's just so bold, right? And bold right. and relief throughout the Gospels. Absolutely. You know, it's fascinating about that, um, and the, you know, the, it's been claimed that you know Paul and and others have have preached a different gospel, okay. and and so on and so forth. The gospel of sin management, as you mentioned a while ago, um, it's fascinating though if you if you think about the the subject of kingdom. Uh, and what is really at stake is who wants to be God. Uh, it's fascinating that when Jesus comes and preaches the kingdom, he is preaching adherence to God as king. And so he's directly speaking to our sin problem. Mm-hmm. Our sin problem is direct, is really rooted in the sense that we want to be God. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, no, there's only one God and you need to bow his knee to him. And so he, he, does, he does speak to why aren't, uh, sin. I mean, why aren't we satisfied with our roles as vice regents? You know, right. like a vice regent is one who comes in place of the king and has great authority. That's right. Great privilege. That's right. Great provision. Great everything. That's right. Why are, why, why are we not satisfied with that? To represent the king, to exercise dominion on his behalf. That's why right. do we have to be as God, as the king? Just wanted to pull away from our conversation for a moment, friend. We can understand the grand narrative as the loving rule and reign of God. Jesus has come to put things back in order, restoring us as vice regents under God as king. Here's the good news. We can be found and requalified for the kingdom, finding our place again in the royal narrative. 
Go to the show notes for this episode on JesusSmart.com. Sign up to receive a free weekly email for next level ideas and practice to advance as a Christ follower. Plus, you'll stay in touch with new episodes and other resources on the way. Let's get back to the Dialogia, the conversation with Matt Raines. That's great. That's a great question. I think it's our sin, you know, to use language of, uh, of faith, our sin nature. Um, we're, we're bent in on self. Um, it's almost like Lucifer. He, yeah. I, I must be as God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, even after the flood, God says, I'm not going to ever destroy the earth in this, in this way again. And then he says, not because I think there's great potential, uh, but because every <laughs> inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, right? So <laughs> yeah. we have this bent that we, we want to be God. Um, he knew he'd have to do it again if he didn't make that commitment, right? <laughs> right, absolutely, absolutely. But then the beautiful thing about it, though, is when Jesus comes on the scene to show us that God is king uh, and that we are, we are his servants, his followers, his regents, vice regents, um, putting that back in order is actually what humanity desperately needs. Um, it's the way there. It's the way of peace. It's the way of shalom. Right. It, it's everything that God yeah. has 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 been getting to. So I, the kingdom gospel Jesus preached is about sin and is about redemption. But he deals with it at a substantive sort of systemic level rather than uh, sin and uh, redemption that Paul will personify. He really gets at the heart of it. Um, the reason we sin, the reason we violate laws, because we think we're God. And so when Jesus comes in to, to uh, replace us um, as king, uh, he is getting to the heart of our sin problem. These are more like, as you say, systemic Absolutely. issues, right? And not just uh, sin management issues like atoning blood to cover our sins so that we can be cleansed and go to heaven someday. But these are systemic issues of I want you restored to your place in the garden, if you will, as a vice regent. That's right. I want you to exercise dominion under my sovereignty. That's right. Just on that, what do you feel like, obviously God is sovereign, we are not. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think that maybe Lucifer's temptation to Eve and then to Adam was that you can be sovereign. Yeah. You can be a king. Yeah. No. Our role is to exercise dominion. Right. So what are your thoughts on that distinction between sovereignty and dominion? Great question. So um, I believe that humanity struggles with taking good things and making them ultimate. Um, And instead of relying on God, we we try to make good things God. Uh, There's a good good example of this, uh, and this ties into what you're talking about. In Luke 10... Uh, there's a passage where Jesus sends um, people off on a limited commission, as it's been referred okay, to, right? right. Um, the Grand Commission coming later. This is go out and yeah, proclaim sort of the a kingdom. Pilot program, a, beta, right. a beta program or something. It's perfect. Yeah. When the disciples get back, um, they tell Jesus, man, it was amazing. Great mission trip. Everything, all these demons were listening to us. And okay. he applauds them at one level. He says, you know, that's great, but don't rejoice that the demons hear you. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. See, there's a temptation for even good things to become more important than ultimate things. Okay, good. And uh, the same thing happens later. We worship ministry. Some people have that problem. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The same thing happens with... the same thing happens with uh, the Good Samaritan. Uh, a, a man, a lawyer, asks to justify himself. Um, and so he was tempted to sort of make his significance the law. Okay. Uh, the story right after that, 
um, Mary and Martha. She w- uh, Martha was tempted to make her significance um, her hospitality, her okay. ability to, to bring hospitality. All right. Story after that, the, the disciples are asking Jesus to teach us to pray like his disciples okay. or like John's disciples. Yeah. Again, all these are good things, but if we're not careful, these good things become our gods. And see, I think this is the difference. Between- Can we start worshiping like a churchianity? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like like a like a, a churchianity. I don't know what else to call it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, um, we want to make everything God besides God. Okay. And really, it's the act of, really uh, of idolatry that's taking place. Sure it is. Um, and, and I think this is the difference between dominion and um, sovereignty. Um, God is giving us good things to, uh, to do, to be a part of. Um, and when we stumble into worshiping those things, we have, we've lost dominion. Uh, we're not living under God's dominion anymore. We, we, are, we are bowing down to, uh, well, what we get from various things, uh, to a good mission trip, to uh, Christianity, whatever it is that we've, we've pla- replaced God with. Yeah, um, a service even. Yeah, so the idea that we have the ability to, uh, to rule and reign with God, as the scripture would say, isn't the idea that we are um, becoming God's ourselves. Uh, it is doing the good work of God and allowing him the credit, allowing him the, um, the king's share, if you will, of glory, of, of everything. Yeah, recognition. And yeah. So he is sovereign, and we are in his image as vice regents, yeah. and we are to exercise dominion on his behalf. Yeah. That's what a regent does. He's fully invested with authority, right. but he's not the king. Right. <laughs> She's not the king, and, right. and, and we, are to exer- we are to administrate if you will, the king's administration or his kingdom on his behalf. Now, we get the benefits of that, yeah. the provision, the stature, the authority, the, right. the joy, the and the fulfillment of all of that. I mean, there's so much there, yet to be tempted and seduced, well, you really, you need to be the king. The king's right. holding out on you. Right. If you just know good and evil like he does, you'll be like him, and he's holding. Wow, what a temptation. Now, I'm going to come back, but in, yeah, yeah. In, in Jesus comes into the garden. I, I think it's Jesus. You tell me if you think it's not. In the cool of the day in Genesis 3, it's a, do you feel it's a Christophany? Or sure. An appearance of Christ on the earth, perhaps. Sure. But it, a, after the fall, they're, they're running and they're naked, of course, and they're ashamed. Right. And it says that the Lord came down into the garden in the cool of the day. And he says, Adam, where are you? And he's searching for Adam and Eve. Do you see that as a as a type or as a as a as a principle or precedent that the Lord, when He comes, He's seeking us to restore us? Oh yeah, to our place. Totally. Not just to get us to heaven. Yeah. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Because it says in the New Testament, I think it says the Son of uh, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Right. Well, we're lost. Yeah, we're running. We're lost. But lost from what? No, I think you're a- absolutely right. Um, I think the redemption of humanity is the reestablishment of of the kingdom hierarchy, if you will, that God is king, that we're not, <laughs> that we're his followers, his vice regents, yeah. putting that back in order. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, did this uh, with uh, Chronicles of Narnia uh, when, when the children uh, finally went to Narnia and they don't know who they are yet. And like the culmination of the story... Uh, is yes, the, uh, the Aslan s- sacrificed himself, but the culmination of the story is the, the enthronement yeah. of, of these 
these young people in their proper place. They were, they were coordinated, weren't they? Absolutely. They, were, they received crowns. Absolutely. Same thing that Paul says, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, he would say in, in Ephesians. C.S. Lewis is so brilliant. Oh, yeah. He's like brilliant, beyond brilliant, and just amazing. So I've come to seek and save the lost. Adam and Eve, where are you? So it's not just to get us to heaven, but it's to reclaim us, restore us to our vice regency. In fact, I think Paul, I think Jesus would say, it's not so much about getting to heaven as, as it is heaven getting to earth. Ah, right. Man. Man, thy kingdom this. come, thy will be done on I mean, earth. the coffee's good here. It's jacking me up a little as bit, but this heaven. is even jacking me up more. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Come on, man. <laughs> now, so, so really the born-again experience then, I think that Jack Hayford talks about the born-again experience as a requalifying experience. We are requalified now for the kingdom. Oh, that's good. I like that. It's not just a rescue yeah. to pull us to heaven out that's of hell. Right. That's merely right. that, but a requalifying. So now we become kings and priests again, the royal priesthood. Right. We become that holy nation that, That's right. that, that Israel was to be, right, yeah. as, as the New Testament. And how uh, damaging would it be then if the gospel was just sin management, right? If you don't fix who's king, all you've ah, it's done— it's just remedial. It's just chronic remedial activity, yeah. right? We're just— That and all you've done is redeem a competitive God. I yeah. mean, okay. you haven't really you haven't really fixed anything, right? You um, have you written on this? You need to write on this. Yeah, and I just think that's uh, I think that's a uh, a misnomer to think that God is just here to cover our sins. So much more, like you said, uh, a requalification. Yes, absolutely. So the born again experience. I mean, Jesus says to Nicodemus in John three, "You must be born again." That's right. Why? Because we're fundamentally born wrong the first time because of the fall. But you must be born again to see the kingdom, verse 3, and then verse 5, to enter the kingdom. So it really equates the born-again experience with the kingdom mm-hmm. there. And, and again, taken all together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's just stunning how much Jesus taught, taught about the kingdom and how much he modeled it and expected his disciples to begin operating in it, like, right. the, like the limited commission you referenced in Luke, Luke 10, was it? Sends them out, the 70 out on that mission to begin doing the kingdom stuff that he does, but, and how little we talk about it and how right. little we expect of ourselves and each other mm-hmm. to begin to move in it. Do you feel that, okay, the kingdom is coming in its fullness, Matt, right? There's right, a sense absolutely. now in which it's the, it's the so-called famous phrase, the already, not yet. The That's kingdom right. is here already. It's not yet here in its completeness, That's right. right? It's fullness. That's reserved for the return of Christ. Matt, do you feel that the... Because we feel that we may be on the getting close to the fullness of the kingdom coming, that there would be a restoration of this kingdom message in our time. Right. Great Almost question. like an overlapping of the ages. I think George Ladd, are you familiar with George Ladd, the uh, professor not, at Fuller? And okay. He wrote a lot about the kingdom, and uh, he talked about the overlapping of the ages, that hmm. when a new age begins in God's scheme of things, right. it, it almost backloads into the preceding age. There's an overlapping. Okay. And so maybe a restoration of kingdom reality that we've lost now mm. yeah. in functionality. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think when we move from Act 4 of Jesus into this Act 5 that okay. you're talking about, right? Okay. Now, Act 5 is the... Yeah. Act 5 is uh, the church or the people of God. Oh. I like to call them God's kingdom people. God's kingdom um, people. I like that. Because it stands in continuity with the rest of Scripture. Okay. Uh, which is so important, right? Because a lot of times... A lot of times people try to create a discontinuity because of grace, and they haven't understood how the yeah. grace is applied in the past. And so it's almost as if God is starting something completely new. Right. And that when you read Paul, 
everything he says yeah. is about continuity with the story God's been telling from the beginning. Sure. Um, so, like, for example, just on that point of continuity, like when Peter writes about, in First Peter 2, about the right. royal priesthood that's and the right. holy nation, he's Perfect. drawing the imagery from, I think, Exodus 19. That's right. About Israel. Okay. That's right. Okay. That, I mean, that's, that's perfect. Um, when Paul makes the case for uh, the Christians in, in, uh, in Galatia, in the Galatian letter, um, uh, you know, the Judaizing Christians of the day said, well, you have to become a part of this covenant. Paul says, no, no, you got to go deeper in the story to Abraham. Uh, because that's how the gospel was proclaimed okay. to them, right? Yes. So yes, this good. continuity is a, is a beautiful and important thing, I think. And that's part of the narrative, um, the yeah. grand narrative. Uh, a lot of anti-Semitism has come as a result of misunderstanding the continuity of the kingdom of God. But yeah, so back back to the, the point you were, you, were at, you were talking about, this idea that we're bringing the kingdom of God, or we're manifesting the kingdom of God, not bringing, that's his job, but manifesting the kingdom of God uh, in our day and the... Um, rediscovery of it is so important. I, I think it avoids the sort of escapism that takes place a lot of times that not only do we struggle with this idea that it's sin management, we also struggle with this idea that, well, I've heard people say that, you know, Peter says this whole place is just going to burn up. So why do I care about the stewardship of the earth? Or why should I care about this or that? Because um, it's all going, you know, it's all going to burn one day. Um, well, the idea of a restoring kingdom kind of sets that on its head and says, no, you do need to care about that. You do need to care about kingdom ethics. Yeah. This is our father's world. That's right. right. Right now. Like the children being coronated at the end of Chronicles of Narnia, each of us are called to a crown. It's the way, the way of Jesus, which is setting all things right. We're born again. This time for the royal story, the kingdom of God. Thanks, friend, for rating, reviewing, and following this podcast on iTunes and other major podcast apps. It's also on Spotify and YouTube. It helps others discover the content to see if it's a good fit for them, plus it keeps you connected. And we encourage you to share this episode from your favorite listening app. Visit JesusSmart.com to see the show notes page for this episode. You can leave thoughts and questions there. There's a contact page to reach out, and you'll find additional resources to dive deeper with our theme today. Plus, you can sign up to receive a free weekly email for next level ideas and practice to advance as a Christ follower. As always, with Jesus, our horizon is smart. It's a royal narrative. Make it a royal week. All the best until next time. Yeah.